A warm welcome to another episode of the Story Framer podcast with me, Matthew Clements, always looking to get out and about in the local community, capturing voices and promoting creativity. Now, back in April, I visited the Transition Town Rugby's Community Climate Cafe, which was hosted at Art at the Alex, which is a new arts venue in town on the site of the former Alexandra Arms pub. So I met Steve Davis and Chris Pegler as part of mooching around the place and spotted that they would be hosting the Warwickshire Open Studios in the month of July. So I got that date in my diary and made sure that I headed back to chat to some artists and take photos because I love Warwickshire Open Studios. Last year I went to a number of different artist venues in villages around Warwickshire and hadn't really clocked that there was something right on our doorstep. Later in the podcast you'll hear those conversations where artists talk about the creative process and their influences. Of course you'll get to see photographs of some of the work uh, and also links to the individual artists websites and social media. But we start by chatting to Chris and Steve about their journey turning what was a pub into an arts venue and because they had so much to say there's even a separate podcast bonus feature that uh, goes into that that journey in a lot more detail it it's still at the early stages mm-hmm. we'd say of the journey um we we started off with the idea of not having our studios um, in the countryside at Stretton on Dunsmore where we were living um, and that was partly because we'd become part of this really quite fabulous and growing network of rugby artists and makers um, and we knew that um, we'd like to be closer to them and we had some idea of things that they might find useful and Um, we were looking for I often say I was looking for a car showroom something unlovely um, but with large um, open plan space and lots of light and small maybe not even having living accommodation but something we could make a sort of small living accommodation in and then we found this instead Um, and we've sort of acquired a whole sort of baggage with taking over a pub um like it being a space that you can have entertainment in, which wasn't our vision. We thought studios and just arty endeavours. So we've got a sort of plus plus to it, which we're sort of working our way through. Does that sound fair? Mm -hmm. here with Darcy who is here for the first time I think. Yes so I'm a bursary artist here. Tell me a little bit about how you got the bursary to because there there are only four of them across the whole of Warwickshire Open Studios. Yeah so I just applied for it over Christmas time you have to not have done like one of these events before I was already going to actually apply just to be a part of it anyway Um, and I just saw it come up on Instagram saying that you can apply for a bursary if you haven't done it I thought well give it a go and I got it so that's lovely. (laughs) So what does that 
involved? What's the benefit of, of having a bursary? Um, so you get a little bit of funding, um, you kind of get a bit of mentorship and a bit of help, and they also place you with the venue. So I was in Leamington for one weekend and then Art in the Alex for two. Um, so that just kind of takes a bit of weight off your shoulders when you, you're just starting out and you don't know what you're doing, you don't know where you're going, and they just help you with that. So it's all functional, uh, thrown on the wheel. I don't really hand build anything except for my earrings, um, mainly using black clay and a toasted clay, and I also use a speckled clay as well. Um, everything is very earthy tones, I mix all my own glazes. Um, and yeah, like you say, you can see in the pictures, it's all just very kind of neutral, simple, but earthy. It takes a long time to build a collection. Obviously, I didn't expect to be exhibiting and also selling on my online shop and all of that kind of stuff so soon. Um, so I built up a, a collection and a certain amount of stock. And I went to Leamington and these big coffee mugs that I basically made just absolutely they went within like the first two days and I couldn't believe it and then it, I always felt like oh my gosh I need to make more but they'll be on my website but I think it's, it's basically people invest in a really nice coffee machine coffee beans you know wood fired coffee beans and all that kind of stuff and they just want a really nice mug to go with it in the morning so that's what they tend to come for so I studied furniture design at university and then on my placement year I went and worked in a ceramic studio uh, Deval Kitchen Ceramic Studio and learnt like the foundations of just working with ceramic materials so I was rolling out tiles, slip casting, all of that kind of stuff making porcelain pendants and then during lockdown like most kind of found their hobbies I bought a wheel and taught myself to throw and then just kind of did that ever since. Literally I managed to get my wheel just before the lockdown hit, it was like two weeks before because we could still go out and actually pick it up ourselves. Um, and I'd saved up money for a holiday and because of lockdown obviously I wasn't going on that holiday so it was almost kind of like well you know it was actually obviously ended up being much better and more valuable than the holiday um, so it, it wasn't too noticeable and to be honest I've been firing in other people's kilns for the past four years I only just got my own kiln in October um, so yeah you don't actually need that much you don't even need a wheel you can literally just have a bag of clay and slap build and then use someone else's kiln and I, it was actually going for my placement year, I was meant to be um, kind of doing multidiscipline. I was meant to be in the metal studio, the woodwork and the ceramics. And I started in the ceramics just kind of a fluke. And then they basically said, we really like you here. Do you like being here? I said, yes. So I just stayed for the entire year and then went back to uni for my final year for furniture design. Did one ceramic project because you can kind of intertwine furniture and product with ceramics. And then my final, final project I did was a potter's chair. So it was integrating my love of pottery with furniture. Okay. So it brought it all kind of full circle almost. <laughs> I, so I very much want to be coastal in like the future. So when I went down to Cornwall recently, seeing just the coastline was absolutely incredible. The, the kind of like, the rocks kind of coming away and even it was just really odd looking up and you could see like part of a toilet in in the cliff face and all of that kind of stuff but it's the way that it it's very hard to describe but I've got so many photos on my phone of close-up of the rock surface and the pebbles and the stones and I've got in my studio I've got a bag of shells and stones and things like that because it's all it's earthy that texture and that color is what I really like 
but generally the forms come from I like I like it to be as functional as comfortable as possible I think that comes from my background in furniture ergonomics and everything and I think one thing people say when they pick up some of my coffee mugs is it's so comfortable and it, it really sits in your hand and just you, know, you feel like oh, it's warming you up and that's that's where my main focus comes from is people feeling like they can hold it and it's nice to hold I'm here at Art at the Alex with Claire Pentelow. I'll let Claire introduce the kind of artwork that she does. You'll get to see photographs on the blog, but this is pretty unique stuff. How would you describe what you do? Uh, paper art. I cut and fold paper, essentially. Um, I kind of create these amazingly intricate pieces of art. Um, yeah, which is very different, very unique, and, and it's something which I've made my own. I mean, I've always loved kind of paper. I've always been a folder, I've always kind of been... I always say I'm a fiddler of paper. You know, I've always got a scrap, you know, when we used to have paper tickets back in the good old days, you know, I always used to be there folding them up, you know, or have different creations in my pocket and stuff. Never anything functional but just a play kind of thing for me um, so I guess I've always had that thing for paper and doing things with my hands but um, I did textiles at university and from that I just became obsessed with paper even more <laughs> when we had a couple of paper projects we had a paper engineer come in and from that I just love paper and just want to see how far I can take it and I guess it's just with practice and practice and more practice and a very sharp scalpel and I just kind of love to see what I could do and how far I can take it. And I initially started with flower that's kind of where so the teeth are kind of almost like, like petals in kind of my head um, and I did start very geometric and, and concentric circles and all carefully measured out and all that kind of stuff and I kind of got see I'm patient for some things and other things I was just like no I got bored of that so <laughs> and wanted to move on to more organic forms and just kind of see what would happen if I just changed of bits and see kind of what happened if I changed and didn't measure something or other you know and just add a bit of um, randomness in there I suppose and, and yeah it's, it's, it's kind of the world's like oyster like there's so many possibilities so many different directions I can take it in because there's just so much you can do with paper um, I think it's the, a fascinating material um, there's so many different types you know I can, I've got sample books like you know like uh, I don't know, 10, 15 centimetres, you know, tall, and they've all got so many different types of paper, it's, it's amazing, and each one, when I do my effect with them, they have something slightly different happen, you know, you can get a shimmer or a different colour comes out, so one of my favourite pieces, which is currently on show in London, um, is all white paper, but it actually has like this bluish kind of purplish kind of tinge to it, and I think that's just so beautiful. Um, so yeah, there's just so much I can do with it and that's what I want to continue to explore. I have a box at home full of just like play things, things which I want to go back to and have a go with. I mean, on, on the table at the moment I've got a square of paper just because I quite like that kind of 
like rhythm and and breaking up the pattern and but also having the lines there so you can still see the lines in what I'm cutting and how they're all coming together but it's a broken line and from a distance I'm hoping it just looks creates a more fluffy kind of effect. I give myself kind of limits. So if I know I've got a frame where I want to fit it into a frame, then that frame is my kind of boundary. So I know I can't go any bigger, and I know I have a certain amount of depth. For my more geometric ones, sometimes I would be like, right, I've got 50 sheets of paper. That's my limit of how many. <laughs> I have to give myself limits, otherwise there's an element of I could just go on That's a forever. Limit to the material rather than the rather than a time limit yeah take as long as it yeah yeah I never give myself time limits just because if I do I end up rushing or I suppose the only time I give myself time limit is if there's a deadline to meet which there's always deadlines to meet uh, it's got to be in its frame by for for an exhibition you know but which either means I give myself plenty of time I know that I can go to my studio, spend a whole day in my studio, not necessarily finish it, but you know, have a good go at it and get quite a lot done. Whereas sometimes just like little kind of odd things I'm playing on, I can have multiple things going at once, so it doesn't necessarily matter how much time one individual piece takes, it just takes as long as it takes. I was chatting to another artist and she talked about how what had been a side hustle had become something that was sustainable for her to do as a job. Has that, have you reached that point? Uh, some years I've had good good years, you know, I've, I've taken commissions from Lexus and Hermes and had other big projects happening, so sometimes I'm like, yes, all good, all guns going, I think. Um, other times, it's a bit more of a struggle, I'd say. I mean, COVID, obviously, and I think it's just getting kind of back up and running. So, yeah, and it's finding my rhythm as much as anything else, you know, because COVID's kind of stopped everybody's rhythm. So then I've just been getting back to working at a pace I'm comfortable with, working on pieces which I'm comfortable with. So there's still pieces before COVID, which I haven't managed to get back into the groove for since COVID. So that's quite a tricky thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I work casual as well. So there's lots of things. I find I've got myself fingers in lots of pies, as they would say. So I do workshops, so I teach as well. So that's always a good little side owner as well. So lots of little bits and pieces to come together. It's been really nice. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a pub I used to come to when I was a. When it was the Atomic Brewery. Not even oh, when no, it was Atomic Brewery. That. Before that, when it was like a, a metal kind of when the, it was just the back room. Okay. So me and my friends used to come down the side, and go straight to the back room, and it was more metal. I'm not into metal, but some of my friends were quite more that way inclined. So, yeah. So I used to come here. <laughs> probably about 10 years ago or something like that. It's, it's just a really nice environment, friendly, comfortable. I think that's what, like the pub. I mean, it's not a, your typical 
gallery, but why shouldn't a pub be converted into a like a more arts kind of venue and space? Because art galleries are sometimes big scary places. White walls, you don't want to go in, do you? <laughs> Whereas this is, you can come have a cup of tea, slice cake, chat to an artist, and it's all quite pleasant and comfortable. And chatting to an artist is exactly what I've been doing. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. I'm here at Art at the Alex for the Warwickshire Open Studios with Brian Dickinson, a stained glass artist. Brian. Hi, good, good evening. Um, tell me how you got started in the world of stained glass. Well, a long time ago, when I got promoted into a management position, I needed a distraction. So I learned how to make stained glass. Took classes and uh, I got too so fast beyond what the teacher was giving me quicker than he was teaching me. I just left him to it and did my own thing. And uh, since then I was making things for the family and then started taking commission work and it's grown into a little enterprise now. So I'm displaying a small selection of the stuff I make at the exhibition. Where does the name Doolittle Glass come from as your sort of creative moniker? Uh, Doolittle Consulting was my business uh, when I... It was a business consultant, and uh, not not because you were trying to do little as a consultant. It's all about doing the little bit, which makes the biggest difference in organisations. And I've kept the do little handle ever since. And it's it, I'm known for do little, so do glass seems to be the next step. Glass is an amazing medium because we're surrounded by it in a very basic form um, but we tend to encounter it in medieval church windows and cathedrals and stuff so um, but thinking about it as incredibly heated up sand is another well is essentially <laughs> when it comes down to that's what it is um, but it's, it's an interesting medium because if you pick a piece of Roman glass in an archaeological dig, it's the same colour as it was when it was made hundreds of years ago. It doesn't fade like a paint fades, and it's, 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 it's fantastic from that viewpoint. I've got a home studio, uh, which is really a converted garage had a two-car two garage, which we never put cars into at home. So we made that into part of the house. And uh, I took it over as a studio eventually. Uh, we occasionally have to... It's a studio with a bed in the corner because I my daughter say stays there occasionally. <laughs> but it's, it's a convenient place to work, nice, comfortable thing. I could teach two, th two or three people in the same studio space. And it works well. I'm just trying to picture the process and the amount of heat that needs to be generated and, and, and how that happens. There's no heat in stained glass apart from a soldering iron. And the soldering iron just stays the, the, the glue which sticks it all together effectively. The glass is pre-made um, in every colour, texture, surface treatment. And from that you can cut it to a pattern 
I make the images that I make. Inspiration, that's an interesting one, it could be anything. Um, I'm sometimes inspired by what people ask me to do as a commission piece. I got asked to do a, a stag for somebody's, a wedding present for somebody to, make, uh, to, to give to his brother. And um, that, having done one stag, it triggered off another a, a stag series. Recently, my portraits, I got requested to do a stained glass piece for a portrait exhibition, and that triggered off a, a set of portraits. But it could be anything. It could be a shape of a cloud, or a, a photograph of a scene, or, 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 or anything. As an artist, I do play with other media. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I only display the stuff that works uh, at an exhibition like this. Uh, during the lockdown process, that I gave me an opportunity to try uh, digital art. That's creating work on, on an iPad and um, creating a, an image from that. And those three prints of ferns are from that process. Is that using an Apple Pencil and pro absolutely, absolutely. Procreate, is it, or something I, similar I, to that? I, something similar to that. I use uh, Adobe Fresco uh, alongside other applications. So how do you find that uh, sort of bleeding into the stained glass work? Is there some sort of uh, connection between the two? Um, only in my thinking as an artist. Um, I do use the apps to create patterns and things for my stained glass work. Yeah. So I, I, I use drawings and I use the computer to help transform things to how I like them and then create patterns from that. Uh, so it's part of the process. Brilliant. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. So I'm here with Jessica Hartshorn. Jessie Illustrates. Jessie Illustrates. So I'm an illustrator. She can probably tell by my business name there. Yeah. So I was here last year. Um, so this is my second year in the same space. So it's lovely to be back in this space. It's um, nice and cool in here. It was the brewery originally, um, that part of the, the pub, when it was a pub. Um, but it's also a great space to show my artwork, which is um, both products and illustrations. I've always drawn and um, remember selling Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle drawings for 2p in the playground so I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial yeah. um, but I did study illustration as a degree um, so I went to art college first then did three years illustration um, so after that I did about a year freelancing as an illustrator um, but then fell into museums and galleries um, working in education in galleries and museums and ended up staying in the sector for 16 years so quite a hefty <laughs> chunk of my kind of career um, and then the latter part of that so I worked at Rugby Art Gallery Museum okay. and the latter part of that I was just really craving to get back to making myself to, to working um, artistically myself um, because previously I was um, enabling other people to be creative commissioning them to create artwork or workshops um, so while I was still there I started painting secretly and didn't really tell anyone and created an Instagram account that I didn't tell anyone about so anybody following me 
genuinely, hopefully, genuinely like my work. It, they weren't following me because they knew who I was. Um, and then I got, while I was still at the gallery, um, I just randomly applied for a, quite a large mural tender at the MAC in Birmingham, uh, which is a big art centre. And it was to paint uh, five 13 metre walls. So it wasn't sort of something quite small, <laughs> it was quite large. Um, and I did that and it went really well. And as a result of that, people started to approach me to say, oh my goodness, didn't know you did this sort of thing. And that kind of started the cogs worrying really that maybe this could actually be a career not just a little bit of a not even a side hustle just something to do in my own spare time um so i applied for some of the bigger tenders and then ended up leaving my job um to do this full time so i actually do do it as a job now um, but i do mostly work with galleries and museums because that's my network so okay. i illustrate maps and trails and jigsaws and all that sort of thing for galleries and museums as well as them producing products and, and that sort of thing. Brilliant. I'll have to look at those murals. So there'd be, we could find pictures online. Yeah, of they're the... on my website. Okay. So, so as a result of the initial ones, I've then been back three more times to do. Um, they, so they are um, temporary murals. That's the heartbreaking thing. They oh. get painted over after three months um, because they were linked to a specific um, show that they had there. Um, and as you've probably seen from my artwork, my audience is mostly families and children. So it was for um, uh, Christmas productions in their theatre around uh, various things each year, but it was all family audiences, which is why it fit quite well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, on my website, you can see all three murals over those different periods of time. It strikes me that it's a hugely competitive marketplace, and yet you have managed to essentially leave the day job albeit with the network and the connections there and make a decent go of it which is pretty rare I'd have thought I think so um, but my I'm, I've always very much been a believer in making opportunities happen for yourself so I do approach people I do put ideas out there in fact I've literally just come today from um, the Paralympic Heritage Trust because I've done some work for them in State Mandeville and um, I've just finished a project for them but I was already putting ideas out about possible next projects um, that you know we could do together. So, uh, although it is about kind of your work being as good as it could possibly be, finding your niche, and um, and yeah, making opportunities where you can, I think. Um, so I'm really looking at home. I've got a studio space, which was the children's playroom. Um, so I've kicked out all the toys and all the books, um, although they are teenagers now, so they don't need them. And uh, yeah, I've got a lovely setup. So in my bay window, I've got a table where I've got natural light to paint. And then at the back of the room, I've got another small desk for my laptop and scanner and all the digital side of things. And then lots of lovely storage for all my products. And I also deliver workshops. So I have a storage for all the workshop materials. Um, and then I've just had a lovely set of drawers to store all my uh, original artwork in to keep it flat because sometimes it can be larger as well. We were chatting before about the cross-pollination of ideas that you get with Warwickshire Open Studios, particularly being based here at Art and the Art at the Alex. Bit of a mouthful when I try and say both of those things at the same time. What kind of um, benefits have you had from working alongside other local artists 
Uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. So I was here last year and, and really felt that sense of community. Um, we help each other a lot by supporting each other with ideas, a bit like university really in a studio and you sort of say, oh, what do you think of this and what do you think of that? And um, But also with things like products where we get and buy them from or recommendations of different things. Um, and then also just learning about other people's techniques and, and crafts from a wool behind us to stitching and pottery. It's just fascinating to hear how people do things. And everyone's so passionate about what they do. So, you know, you sort of really want to hear their stories and also their journeys of how they got there. It's the Story Framer at Art at the Alex, the Warwickshire Open Studios. And I'm here with David Jones, a potter. Ceramicist, how would you describe yourself, David? Uh, I'd describe myself as a potter, a uh, studio potter is, is the, what I would say I was, uh, making uh, pots that people can use. I gather from Darcy that you've been potting for quite some time, several decades, shall we say. Take me back to when you first got started. Uh, so I first started at Loughborough, uh, which, and pottery was a sort of an add-on to a course that I was doing. Uh, and having done a little bit of pottery for about three or four weeks, I just caught a bug uh, and have never stopped since. So 52 years is about the amount of time that I've been making pots. I've been a professional potter only for about three years of that. The rest of the time I had a full-time job, but I've always had a studio in the garden. I'm going to go back to the Loughborough connection, if that's all right, because it's my hometown. Were you at Loughborough College of Art and Design at that point, or Loughborough University? Or? I was at Loughborough University following a teaching course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the teaching course was in creative design, um, but as I say, pottery was a six-week taster course within that. Mm. My studio is actually in the house. Oh, in the house, uh, sorry. So it's the first time I've had that sort of... Uh, um, ability to make pots in the warm. <laughs> Normally my studios would be outside. Um, and I have three kilns, a gas kiln, which is the main kiln, which uh, is rather large. So that's where I finish all the pots off. I also have an electric, electric kiln, which in which I bisque, for, bisque wear, or fire to a thousand degrees. And I have a small test kiln, so I can test glazes quite quickly in a very small kiln. Yeah. Most of my work is based on Japanese and Chinese uh, pottery, stoneware, high-fired and reduction-fired. So it's reduction-fired means that you reduce the amount of oxygen in the kiln so that the flames burn the oxygen out of the oxides that you put in the glaze. So for instance, if you put a cobalt oxide on a pot, it looks quite black when it comes out of the kiln it's a very bright blue so it's burning back the oxide out of the cobalt taking it back to its metallic form. As any potter would do they would they would always try lots and lots of different ways of, of working so yes I've um, fired raku earthenware pit firings I, I mean really there are lots and lots of different ways that you yeah. can uh, make pots um, this is only one and it's just like that you know when when you see any potter their work is always different you never see two potters that have got work that's the same and it's mainly because they use different techniques or they found a different way of firing or they have a different type of wheel even I mean it's all dependent on what the materials and the equipment that you have what do you enjoy about exhibiting at Warwickshire Open Studios in particular? Well, I mean, 
it's like any open studios uh, event I mean you get the chance to take your wear out and to be alongside other artists and uh, it's an opportunity just to show what you do I mean really I'm getting towards the end of my potting life I'm sort of you know way over the age that I should retire now um, so I'm sort of getting to the point where I'm thinking well now's the time to to stop but Warwick's your open studios is a really great place to sort of you know every now and then come out and just take your pots and move some of them along is what I call it okay. but uh, but it's nice you know that people come around and so appreciative of the work that all the artists and craftspeople that are in Warwickshire Open Studios um, do they're very appreciative a whole lot. I'm here at Art at the Alex, the Warwickshire Open Studios, with Glynis Hayward Bradley. Glynis, if you were to explain uh, the kind of work that you do, how would you put it into your own words? Um, well, I would say it's mixed media because I try a little bit of everything. I'll try one thing. I like experimenting and I like colour, so I do something and then it leads on to something else. And I've tried. I've done many courses over the years, all sorts of different things, and um, I just keep trying different things really until I find something I really enjoy. So I got back into um, art about oh, maybe seven or eight years ago when I started with the paint pouring, um, and that sort of started me off and made me want to do other things. So then I went and did a watercolor course and um, then from the watercolour moved on to acrylics. Um, um, I mean, many years ago I did um, a design crafts course at the um, Warwickshire College and I, I um, did textiles and that was my main thing really. So, um, and those chocolates are all made of felt, so that's sort of what I, that type of thing. Um, and what else have I done? Well, all sorts, really. You, you name it, I've probably done it. <laughs> what are some of the advantages of being part of Art at the Alex here? It's really nice to be with other artists and it's really nice meeting all the people that come in. It's just nice having chats and we hear some really interesting stories from people. And it's, it's nice to encourage other people into art, actually. So, um, lots of people say they're not artists, but when you question them, they've done this or they've done that. And actually, they are, you know, they could be part of our group because we have all sorts of artists and makers. So, Chris and Steve are just lovely people and they're so welcoming. And um, anything I can do to help, I will do. So... Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I, I do it because I enjoy it. I'm, I'm not worried about selling stuff or anything like that. It's just enjoyable. It's nice to show off your art, really. I'm here with Evie. Evie, how would you describe the work that you're involved in? Um, I make fused glass pieces, uh, bowls and um, spoon rests and decorative items, um, which I make at home in my workshop using a kiln. Well I start off with a, a clear piece of glass, usually a circle, and start flat and then I build up on that circle other pieces of glass of all sorts of different colours and I build up my design 
and then once my design's ready I put it into the kiln and it goes in um, if I want it to go to completely flat I take the temperature up to 800 degrees if I want to keep the texture of the piece I take it up to 750 and once it's fused it goes back in the kiln on a ceramic mould and that forms the shape so it has two processes they're actually fairly tough, surprisingly tough um, and a lot of it is two layers of glass, so six millimetres of glass, it's quite strong. I do, I make spoon rests for the kitchen and they can go in the dishwasher. So some of it is just decorative, some of it is a little bit more delicate, but a lot of it has a use and is stronger. Um, I started six, about six years ago, perhaps a little bit longer, I went to a summer school and I took a, a course for a week but I was completely hooked on it by the first afternoon um, and that after taking that course um, I started going to a tutor and did a, and who had a kiln and started working with her on some basic things like cutting circles which is particularly hard and then after a while I got my own kiln but I love doing this because there's so many different techniques and ways of doing it and you can experiment and try new things all the time yeah I have to buy all the same type of glass because two pieces of glass won't be compatible um, and if you heat them together they'll crack so you have to buy glass that's all the same make so that you know that it's all going to work together so I have I buy art glass and, and I buy it from a company where I can get all the different colours and the different types of glass because there's fine granules of glass, there's uh, strips of glass, there's long thin strings of glass, there's sheets of glass, there's all sorts of different ways of buying it. And I buy it all from one company where it's, I know it's all going to work together. I've done Warwick Shoker Studios in two other places. I didn't do it during lockdown and the year that was on, um, the first year back I just stayed online and didn't go anywhere physically. Um, but yeah, I've, I've um, been to other studios and done it. I don't do it from my own studio at home because it's just too small. Um, but I do love going to other places and meeting all the other artists. That's half the fun of it. I'm with a group of other glass artists as well. Um, we have a little group together so that we can talk glass to each other because otherwise people get very bored with it after a while. Um, but Warwick Shoker Studios is great for meeting other artists and it's amazing, even though you'll be on di using different media, the different things you have in common. Um, we all support each other, it's really lovely. Evelyn, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm here with Carol Wheeler. Carol. Hello. What technique are you demonstrating today? I'm demonstrating jelly printing. That's jelly with a G, G-E-L-L-I, and it's a monoprinting technique. Man-made jelly plate, which is um, a man-made gelatin, and it's very flexible, so it takes textures really well. And the idea is to do layers and get textures of leaves, lace, feathers. You can also use hand-carved stamps, stencils, masks, and found textures like corrugated card, bubble wrap, the bottom of pizzas. So the jelly plate is being not inked up, but 
a layer of acrylic has been added, yeah. With a roller, but you can also use a brush, palette knife, old credit card. So yes, I've put the paint on the jelly plate and now I'm putting some leaves down on it, on top of the paint. Both real leaves and um, stylized leaves that I've cut out myself. Then I take a piece of paper, it can be any sort of paper, it can be thin photocopier paper, it can be thicker card, it can be music paper, it can be a collage, it can be um, printmaking paper, it can be tissue paper. So now I've put the paper down, I'm just rubbing over the back and then when I pull up the paper I will have a negative print of the leaves that I put down. Then I take any excess from around the leaves with some kitchen roll or tissue paper then I get another piece of paper and when I've taken the leaves up I can then put another piece of paper down on the jelly plate and I can rub over the back of that and when I pull the paper up I shall have a positive print There we go. Splendid. This is the plate. What I've done is I've used floor towels. So you can see linoleum on the floor. It's just a bit cheaper than um, store-bought stuff. As long as it's smooth, then you can carve into it. You take different knives and you draw your pattern and you carve around it. And then eventually you have a design that's cut out and ready. Um, and then you print it. Wow. Yeah. Really cool, isn't it? So the first technique that started uh, with printing was like wood blocks. I'm not too sure when it was. Um, you've got an Asia where they did uh, traditional woodblock prints. Um, and then it sort of evolved from there into illustrations for books. Um, you also had the copper plate etching, which was also really popular. Um, and then it's kind of like a, a little bit of a dying art at the moment because the presses are so expensive um, to run and yeah I know it's like universities and stuff they often have um, presses or community presses but you don't often find them now it's a little bit hard but you can get really creative with it so Steve has been awesome this press that I'm using today He's created kind of from scratch with different materials. He's pieced together this amazing uh, equipment, which I was really skeptical in the beginning. Um, he used a car jack instead of a, a steel cylinder, and it presses 
from like the top so instead of rolling through it's a top press which means that you won't really get them bossing but for my ink prints it works perfectly um, yeah and he sort of improvised and put drawers with all the paper and yeah it's kind of so I'm here with Hannah Kemper at Art at the Alex, the first weekend, I think, of the Warwickshire Open Studios, which kicked off on Thursday. And I kind of started recording midway through while you were interacting with a much younger member of the audience. And um, But I first saw your work at the Rugby Open exhibition earlier in the year, and I just glanced... Um, the actual the same piece I think in the cabinet on the way past is that right so have you always worked in lino cut or is this a particular passion at the moment um, so I've, I've worked with lots of different mediums before um, I didn't start with lino cut I first started with uh, sketchbooks and paper and different crayons and it was only going to university I sort of had access to the equipment and the knowledge of learning how to print um, there was a lady that I got taught by Diane Victor who was like really inspirational and like she worked really hard um, this was all in South Africa where I'm from um, and yeah just being able to like share the space with her and learn different techniques so not only liner cut but copper plate etchings and engravings um, that's sort of my first breakthrough into printmaking and I was drawn to it quite a lot because there's a particular like um, mystery behind it like you always know you've got a plate but you don't know how it's going to print so it's only once you do a few runs you realize, oh, okay, cool, this is what it looks like. Do I like it? Do I want to change it? Um, and you focus quite a lot on mark making. Um, my first works, I was really focused on like subject matter and like the perfection of like getting it. Um, yeah, fo fo hyper realistic. And once I, I started playing around with printmaking, I realized that you can be a lot more adventurous with um, mark making and having different narratives in just shapes and line and color. And I sort of simplified my process right down to black and white um, and focused on yeah, that yeah. and how to create these imaginary worlds. Um, so that's sort of like where... Um, where I access the printmaking from. Um, what's also nice with it is that you can do multiple runs. So you, you don't have to just have a drawing and then it's gone, but you're able to play around, rework it. So a lot of my plates I also tried embossing, which is essentially the plate, but then um, you're pressing it into paper so that it raises. I can show you in okay. my flip flip book in a little bit um, and then just rework that with different colors and sort of like math, math making um, yeah I don't know if I answered your question I just yeah, rambled sure. no it's for sure it's all about I didn't want to stop you thinking oh she's put that on the paper now so yeah no that's okay 
Um, I'm really lucky because I'm, I'm working with oil-based ink, so it's a, with the heat, it's it's working a little bit easier. The acrylic, I wouldn't have been able to sort of stop midway because um, yeah, the acrylic dries really quickly. Can I see so this is Steve Davis's improvised um, printing press. Is that right? Yes, that's it. You can hear kind of the. Yeah. Press. Now it, the handle is a snooker cube, but <laughs> that Steve Davis is a spelt differently. You wouldn't know there was a snooker player called yeah, Steve yeah. Davis in the 1980s. No, well, there's a little, maybe it's a visual pun uh -huh. on Steve's part or, or not. And a car jack yeah. and some bent copper pipe. Which is really peculiar. I've never seen a press like this before. Um, and he's used a frame at the bottom and there's a grid matrix at the bottom um, right on the base of the bed um, that you can line up your prints. And yeah, he's done a great job. So how do you know when it's when it's ready to reveal? Um, you were listening for a particular sound, were you? Or yeah, so I'm looking for pressure essentially. Okay. Um, I'm looking for the right because there are no gauges, no, there's nothing digital, nothing beeps and lights yeah. up to tell you that we're done. Even the, the old, the, the printing presses that I'm used to using, how I would do it is they would have two threaded bars on each side over here and then you'd have, you'd be able to manually adjust the top, the pressure. Okay. So you, traditionally you'd have a steel roll where the pressure is that would be even. Um, so he's used this over here, this big block. It's a, a massive steel block okay. to, to essentially provide the even pressure. Right. The same way that that steel cylinder would. And traditionally, you'd have a wheel that turns this side and your bed at the bottom would move. So it slots out and then through. And that's the pressure that you'd want what I just inked up now, you want to make sure that that adheres to the paper enough to be printed on, on the other side. So in this machine, I'm looking, hearing for the pressure instead of like adjusting the tops to feel it. Yeah. Um, you'd release and then tighten. Whereas this one, it releases and tightens through the, the car jack, which is incredible. Um, is this the first time you've used this yes. press then? Yeah, yeah so you're is. having to find the nuances and... Yeah, and then when the... So the bed, instead of having it like open normally, this stays, this whole car jack stays fixed. And then you... It's a, he's used an old drawer top with a little handle to pull out the bottom of the bed. Yeah. Um, and then just this plank of wood to make sure it holds, otherwise... So that's, that comes in and out. It's um, delightfully Heath Robinson, I think is what we would say. But the results are great. Um, traditionally, you'd have really thick felt. This is usually quite expensive to buy. Okay. Um, what Steve's done is just improvised with using cardboard, just normal foam. And he said this was like um, a draw liner from Ikea. Yeah. So it's really cheap and like accessible materials, yeah. which makes it really amazing that you can share 
so many other artists would be able to have access to this. Some people that don't have presses do use spoons. So I'll show you here. If I haven't inked up correctly, right, what I would do is I'd leave that. I take the back of the spoon and essentially I can just give it a little bit of a rub to make sure the ink adheres to the paper. But this one I'm quite happy with, so... Um, yeah. And that's, that's the print. So you, traditionally you would have a drying rack where you'd hang these up as well. Um, which Steve's also improvised in an amazing way. He's got... I'm like... The number one fan can you hear <laughs> yeah that's good it's just it's nice to be because i've been formally trained and then to be able to come to england now um and see very different techniques yeah. essentially getting the same outcome and the quality um, of his work speaks for itself anyway doesn't yeah. it i guess so you, you know you're in good hands but yeah, yeah, yeah it's not like it exploded midway midway through <laughs> But he uses marbles uh, cut in wood and essentially you just put your page inside and then the marble holds your paper, oh, okay. um, but not with a clip. For the improvised drying rack? Yes. I love it. A great many of the artists who were showing at part of uh, as part of Warwickshire Open Studios talked about the the sort of connectivity and the cross pollination that came from being in the presence of other artists over those uh, couple of weeks. How how do you see what what you offer as a venue for Warwickshire Open Studios? How has it gone this year compared with with last, and um, and what might twenty twenty four look like? Um, I think it's it, it's a curious time for all sort of retail outlets in, in a sense. Um, we, I think we're more familiar to yeah. people. There was less of the total surprise when you came through the door. There were less of the people in search of a pub coming through the door this yeah. time, which is always good for us. Um, there, so we had about, we reckon we had about 660 people visit very inexact counting which is about 50 percent upon last year um some some people did very well um very very well um and some people really just covered their costs steve didn't sell anything at all apart well, from a few postcards a post, postcards perhaps because he was doing very yeah. strange work um <laughs> because he sold he sold much better than most other people during the art um, exhibition so it's sort of like working out it's, it's quite mm. interesting but um, I think we were very pleased with it we definitely do it again um, I think most of the artists want to do it again um, I think 20 would be the absolute maximum and depending on what we've done to the space here we may not be able to get 20 in next time mm. um, but it was it was a really nice blend, and we were really happy to have some of the like Darcy, who's the pot, the younger Potter. She won a bursary this year, and Hannah won the was it called the Emerge Prize? Yeah, yeah. at the Rugby Open um, exhibition where Open Studios gave her again 
you know, free free pass to, to open studios. So so those two young young up and coming artists. Having their first open studios, which yeah. was really nice. And but the message from all of the artists which you seem to have picked up on is even if they didn't really sell, they picked up clues. I mean, I remember from the first <coughs> open studios, the two silversmiths who spent quite a lot of time in the silver shed together. Um, I, I don't think sales were great, but they learnt such a lot from having basically eight days of seeing each other and trading ideas. Um, and this, this group, the Rugby Artists and Makers Network, which came into being during lockdown, was all about learning from each other um, because especially if you're a sole trader um, who's maybe doing another job as well so you've got very limited time to develop your craft um, it can be really daunting because it feels like every decision you make from pop packaging to social media to everything you're on your own um, but p- being part of a network like this means that you can go to other people from advice yeah. and see what they're doing and it's just made it yeah. much and you can, more visible. You can ask people, you know, like yeah. what kind of what kind of card reader do they use? And you know, is it you know, are there any differences? Yeah. What do you prefer? Uh, and so you can find out things yeah. like that. And how, how many cards you might have printed up for something like open studios. Yeah. And that that advice can make the difference between use yeah. Because it's very tempting to buy too much and then you've got a huge amount of stock and no money, yeah. <laughs> no capital to do anything. So I think it's it's really supportive. Um, so we like that. But there are other events we do during the year, the arty weekends and even the um, the sort of summer show that we've just had. Because we had three maybe four artists in at a time doing the stewarding in different parts they were not only speaking to the public they were speaking to each other and enjoying um, basically going around the exhibition together endlessly Mm. and having a look at the different pieces it's it's really nice to be able to put practitioners that often work alone Mm. together it's like as soon as you do that there's a sort of outpouring of incessant questions and information and they're so willing to share information Mm. really really lovely a big thank you to all of the artists who gave up their time to chat and to make this podcast happen i really appreciate it Be sure to check out their individual websites and social media by following the links in the text of the actual blog post. Again, thanks to Chris and Steve for giving up extra time to talk us through the process of turning a pub into an arts venue. And you can find out a lot more in the companion podcast, which goes into a lot more detail about their journey. And finally, extra special thanks to Jack Knowles for providing the background music for this episode. Really appreciate your gifts and talents. Thank you for being part of it.